The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. What to do with your money with stocks at record highs? Earnings, inflation taking center stage today as Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel joins the investment committee in just a few moments. With us for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian. Good to see everybody. Let's check the markets. We got a good day shaping up uh, on this program. Talk about a lot of stuff. Look at the NASDAQ. That's a new high. S&P 500, that's a new high as well. Tech, healthcare, discretionary all hitting record intraday highs yet again. Josh Brown, Apple is trading near an all-time high. Alphabet trading at an all-time high. Starbucks, which you own, is at an all-time high. Target, Pepsi, Zoetis. Let's start with Starbucks. And just the overall theme, Josh, today of all of these stocks and this sector is hitting new highs. I think the overall theme is these are quality companies with incredibly strong balance sheets that are growing in a secular fashion and do not require continued assistance from the Federal Reserve, the ECB, or the Bank of Japan. That's really the story here. These are big global uh, companies with brand loyalty from consumers, tons of innovation. They spend on R&D. They also spend on buybacks. They also spend on dividends. They also spend on CapEx. They can do it all. If you abandon those stocks to start buying coal mines because the 10-year Treasury went up, um, then maybe this is a teachable moment that hopping from foot to foot between cyclical and growth is not a winning strategy long term. Owning good stuff is a better strategy long term, even if it means there might be a counter trend here or there that you don't quite capture all of that. You don't have to. It's unnecessary. So when I look at my portfolio, it's the best companies doing the best. And that's very intuitive. That's how it should be. Take a look at semis today. It's not just Apple. Microsoft's at an all time high, too. Uh, these are two of the top performing S&P 500 stocks, Apple and Microsoft. But the semis, almost to a man, look phenomenal right now. And they should. Target's at another all-time high. Great job, Pete. One of the best, one of the biggest winners I've ever seen picked on this show. Um, Target continues to roll. This is one of the strongest trends in the entire market. Um, the cyclical names are having a tough time with Delta. Uh, they don't, people don't want to own them as vociferously as they did. The airlines, the cruises, casinos, uh, Freeport, Alcoa, Boeing, Caterpillar. It's a step back. It's not the end of the world. One thing worth keeping an eye on, I talk about breadth and internals all the time. Not great right now. Only 56% of S&P 500 stocks are above their 50-day. The 50-day is very short-term. It's very noisy, but just something to keep an eye on. You don't want to see significantly more deterioration there. Outside of that, though, I think you can own good stocks. I think you're doing just fine. Okay. Um, nice shout out there, Pete, uh, for you from Josh on, on Target. Um, we mentioned Starbucks, Thanks. all-time high today. You bought Starbucks calls. Talk to me about that first because you have a lot of other interesting moves that I'm going to get to right away after we finish that. Sure. Well, you know, Scott, we, we, as you know, we, I look 
constantly and look at the unusual option activity, and that's part of what I do. But on top of that, a lot of the time you're looking at what's the storyline behind it, what's the, what do the charts look like, all those different things come into play. And Starbucks just continues to be Starbucks. And, and, and it was just said very well by Josh Brown. These are quality names. The quality names are the ones that are winning out. They're not only winning out, they're going to all-time highs and exploding through those all-time highs. I think Starbucks is just a very interesting one because of the fact that every time I go buy one, boots on the ground, there are lines of cars again. It's like Raising Cane's. It's like all these other types of places where there's always a line of cars. Starbucks is one of those. And they just continue. And I heard Jim Cramer bringing this up, and it's very clear to me as well. The cold drinks, that's where they seem to have so much success right now. The cold drinks. It's not just about a, 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 a hot coffee. So when I look at this and I see the unusual option activity, the second I see that, I already know enough about the background <clears throat> that I'm going to buy those calls. So I am in these July 119 calls right now in Starbucks. You know, I mentioned these other moves you have, Pete. Um, they're, they're eye openers in yep. terms of what you're seeing in, in technology, which has been red hot of late. I mentioned the NAS, the 100 yeah. as well, mm -hmm. hitting new highs today. You bought Snowflake calls. Um, very interesting because you've had issues with some of these high value, really high valuation stocks. Microsoft, you yep. bought some new yep. calls there, a company you've loved for a long time. Apple calls mm -hmm. um, are new. You've seen Amazon calls. You recently yep. bought Oracle calls and you recently had bought uh, Apple calls, too. But this is more. Just tell me about mm -hmm. this. Well, it, you know, last Tuesday when I was on here, one of the things that I brought up right out of the gate was the fact that on the first four unusual option activities that we had on our systems, they were all huge. They were all in technology. And there was names like Apple and Amazon and NVIDIA and some of these names. And, and many of those names, not all of them, have played out very, very nicely. And then I came back on Thursday with you, and Apple had gotten slammed to the downside from 145-ish, 146 down towards 141. We hadn't had unusual there, but we'd had so much coming into it, Scott, that I was confident that I thought that we would see a very quick rally to the upside. That's what I think we're seeing today. And not only are we seeing that rally to the upside, they just continue, they being the monster option activity that we follow, just continues to come into these, multi, these, these names. And I love having stock already in Apple. I can trade around it with these calls. Microsoft, same story. You know, I, I, I look at a lot of these as, as opportunities. Amazon's another one where I think there's an opportunity there. It's so difficult at these price levels, even with the options sometimes, to get involved in some of these names. But you brought up those high multiple, no multiple names. Snowflake, great example, right? Um, I, I am willing to trade those stocks, Scott, with the derivatives world of options. I just don't want to be in the stocks themselves, very much like the same way I feel about Chinese names. I love these Chinese names, but I will only be there with the options. I don't feel very comfortable with the stocks right now, so I will trade around that. And we are seeing incredible volumes today in all of these different Chinese names hitting the unusual as well, whether it's, you know, a Baba or a Baidu or whatever it might be, JD. We just are seeing all of this option paper that's just flooding in. And by the way, the derivatives markets still remain on fire. We had a little bit of a pause um, on Monday. But Friday, once again, we're pushing towards that 50 million mark on a fairly consistent basis on a day in and day out trading, definitely over 40 million. So the option world is certainly exploding, Scott, as we have gone through not only the pandemic, but now post pandemic as we're moving forward. Yeah. You know, Pete, I mean, the money is flowing into tech, too. I mean, that's, that's where yep. the action is. I'm looking at the latest Bank of America fund manager survey results, too. Um, tech increasing. Long tech is the number one most crowded trade 
It's the first time we've seen that since April. Tech exposure continues to increase in July. It just plays right into the themes of where you're seeing the most option activity as well, Pete. Yes, absolutely, Scott. And it's and it's when I say big, I I do mean extraordinarily big. I mean, like today, with for instance, with Apple, and we've talked about this name for about the last two weeks. We've had almost every single day huge, massive options coming in there. Today, they bought seventeen thousand of the July. 23rd expiring. It gives you two weeks, the 148 calls. They've gone up to the 149 calls, the 152 calls over the last couple of weeks. So they continue to come in with very large option paper committed to see that this stock is going to break through to the upside. We'll see, but we continue to see it there. We continue to see it in Amazon. And while we see that option paper, I absolutely will be following along. Yes, Stephanie Link, uh, interesting moves from from you as well today that we need to tell our viewers about. Um, You bought more Expedia. You bought more Emerson and you bought more McDonald's. Now, we could talk about those before we talk about a stock you trimmed a little bit. But tell me about those three. Yeah, because it's like you want to be diversified. So I totally agree. I've been saying all year you want to have cyclical exposure because the economy is going to stay stronger for longer. But you also want to have secular growth companies with very strong total addressable markets. So you mentioned it, Scott, in terms of, and, and Pete did a great job. And, and so did Josh in terms of explaining what's happening in the technology a- area. The XLK is now up 17 percent in the year. But let's not forget that the XLI is up 16 percent. The XLF is up 24 percent. The XLE, the energy uh, ETF, is up 38%. So it's not too shabby. And that's, that, that absolutely speaks to my point of you want to have this barbell. You, at any given time, you can be tactical. I still am more weighted on the cyclical side because I think the earnings are going to be phenomenal. But I do think that technology is also going to be a winner. And I have plenty of exposure there. Um, Expedia, um, it actually trades in the XLC, right? So the comm services, um, that's one reason. But number two, they are. I, I do want to be part of the reopen trade. I sold Marriott, made good money on that. I didn't want to get out of the trade completely in terms of the theme. So it's a reopening. It's a restructuring. They're cost cutting. And you have a Barry Diller halo as he is the chairman. So still like the reopen stories, travel and leisure, too. Emerson is a hidden energy play. It has lagged other industrials. They have new management team. They're making asset sales. They're doing M&A at the same time. They have 15 billion in free cash flow and they have a nice dividend. And they have a technology component, too, in process automation, which gets totally overlooked in my mind. And then, and then uh, McDonald's, they've done a great job in the closure um, because they actually simplified their menu. But they do have good growth for the reopen in terms of drive through momentum, in terms of digital um, and, and in terms of delivery, which is now 75 percent of system wide sales. So I think there's a lot of ways that they can win. It's a little more defensive. But I think these three names represent diversification. SLB, um, you've had a great gain in and now is the time to take some off the table. Yeah, I mean, I'm still overweight. I am absolutely still overweight because I like what they're doing. Don't forget, just a month ago, they raised guidance, right? But I do think up 130% from when I first started buying it is prudent to trim. And, and I put it into Emerson because that's the hidden energy play that hasn't appreciated as much. That brings me to the sniper, Jason Snipe. Uh, second day in a row, Disney makes it to the top of our program, Jason. Um, yesterday, it was Farmer Jim who bought more. And today, uh, you've actually bought Disney, too. You got it. I was waiting for my time to get in. Farmer Jim pushed me over the edge. No. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, Disney is just a great company. Obviously, they've, they've done very well. Uh, last year was explosive growth on their DTC business. It's obviously slowed some since. But I, I do love what they've done uh, in terms of managing expenses and restructuring their company. I don't think that was been talked about it enough. So 
it's been relatively flat for the year. Obviously, you had a nice jump last yesterday, you know, up over 4%. But I think there is a lot of growth here, a lot of runway as our legacy business starts to come back online. You know, Disney was reiterated overweight today at, at Morgan Stanley. They go 200 bucks on the price target. That's a $10 upside, uh, 10%, excuse me, uh, upside from here. You know, and even, Jason, I don't know if you heard Kramer, you know, talk about it, sort of the evolution of his view on Disney over, let's say, the past four or five weeks or so. You know, started to get a little down on the company, a little down on, on the performance of the CEO and said as much on, on the network. You know, I'm not breaking any new ground. It's, you know, came out of Jim's mouth on this network. And then today um, said he was getting a little more positive. Bob Chapek, he said, the CEO doing a good job and the facts have changed. Those were Jim's exact words today. So a, a stock that had a massive move and then, you know, had a bit of a pause you feel is ready to move back towards that $200 level? I think that was the peak. I can look at it as we talk about it. But it was right around 200 Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree with Jim's points here. I think uh, they have pricing power. They obviously raise uh, pricing on their ESPN Plus business. I think, um, you know, I just, I just think there's a lot of opportunity with the stock. And, again, it hasn't done much uh, this year, you know, but I think there's continued movement. And, again, as we see – uh, some of their legacy businesses come back online. I think I think they'll see it as additional catalyst for the name. You know, I, I was also curious, Josh, in, in looking at Disney and and looking at the performance of the stock and thinking about Jason's move and in in context of what Farmer Jim told us yesterday. Um, I looked at Live Nation, which was a pick of yours and had a massive move, just like Disney and some of these other reopening stocks did. But then I noticed the stock is a zero for the last three months. It hasn't done anything. I'm wondering why you think that is. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's like out of character for any stock to spend time not going anywhere. I, I think one of the things that's affected all of the reopen, the quote unquote reopening uh, related stocks is just the fact that we've got this increased uh, infection rate from the Delta variant. People are concerned about it. We have cases of vaccinated people uh, contracting it. And we know the vaccines aren't 100 percent effective. They're 90, 95 percent effective in some cases, which is good enough. Uh, but I think the market's going to process that stuff and allow these stocks to continue to rally. I do think that we're seeing this uptick in infection rate in clusters. It tends to be in states with low vaccination rates. It tends to be among social groups of people who think the virus was a hoax in the first place or that the vaccines are being manufactured by Bill Gates in order to plant chips inside of our bloodstreams. So that stuff is like, I don't think uh, going to be long term damaging to the fact that Americans and people all over the world are ready to get back out again. There may be stutter steps on the way to get there. Uh, there may be bouts of misinformation in the press about um, risks, et cetera. We're going to fight through that stuff because in the end, we are looking at an economy in which consumers have never been more liquid and have never been more excited to get out and do things. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm long live nation. I'm every bit as bullish on it as I have been since 70. Uh, I do think this is a triple digit stock. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens by the end of the year. But are there going to be weeks where uh, the virus reasserts itself in the headlines and, and makes people think twice about all of these stocks? Uh, yeah, 
So that's that's part of investing. You don't get to wake up every day and it be 72 and, and sunny. That's yeah. just not reality. Yeah, I hear you. Well said. Well said. Uh, Jason, you also bought more Walmart. Why? I did. I did. So, uh, you know, Walmart is interesting because obviously it's lagged the market, you know, year to day. It's down about 2%. Obviously, Target, as, as Pete uh, nicely done, has, has picked that one. But uh, Target's been the darling. It's been up 42% year to day. But I think Walmart... You know, I think one thing we don't talk about or, or it's not getting credit for this year is their e-commerce investment. I mean, they've done really great job investing in their e-commerce business. They have $21 billion in free cash flow. I think there's an opportunity here. And I think it's also a play on the consumer. It's a healthy consumer, 12% savings rate, uh, return to school, return to everything. I think Walmart can catch a bid here. All right. You got a couple of things that you uh, sold, too. I'm going to save those, though. Uh, tease it a little bit, and we'll get to those at some point uh, later on in the program. I do want to bring in our headliner right now, Wharton Professor Jeremy Siegel, joining us once again. Professor, it's always good to talk to you. Welcome back. Hello, Scott. How are you feeling about the market um, today? You know, you've put us in the seventh inning stretch the last time you were on, you know, close to a, a month ago. We had a hotter than expected inflation read. You had yields go higher, and then they reversed themselves, and I've got the S&P at a new high. I've got the NASDAQ at a new high. Tech seems to be rolling in this environment. How do you see it? Well, you know, Scott, I've been saying for months that inflation is going to be much higher than what the, the Fed thinks it's going to be. Um, I actually think we're only seeing the, the tip of the iceberg in terms of, of, of the data. Uh, and the Fed will have to move. But, you know, they're throwing so much money still at the economy uh, that, you know, it's still going to flow into stocks. We're, we're not over with the bull market. Uh, uh, by, by any means, but the Fed is going to be forced to act. Maybe they will announce the taper at the July meeting. Absolutely, in my opinion, no later than the August Jackson Hole meeting. And again, there'll be tremors, but the money is still coming. So, uh, and, and stocks are real assets, as I pointed out all the time. So it's going to still flow into those real assets. Now, you think, uh, and I certainly agree with many of the, you know, your uh, commentators about quality stocks, tech and otherwise, I do think that the, the only inflation protected yield, because there's going to be much more inflation, is really the dividend paying stocks. So if you're into that sort of market, you're going they will become attractive later on. Um, you know, treasuries, yeah, one and a half and inflation is going at six, seven, eight, nine. Bank accounts, your money is just disappearing. Municipals the same way. You want to go into tips, minus one percent yield. So, you know, if you're if you want that income, I still think that people are going to look around and say that th those dividend paying stocks are where where I'm going to go. Yeah. doesn't mean you should avoid tech. But it means that's something you should think about. Mary Daly was was on the network earlier today. She, of course, the San Francisco Fed president, reiterated once again her belief that inflation is transitory. If you look at the bond market and the uh, yield activity, the bond market move, professor, would suggest that you're wrong. Right. I mean, unless the bond market is totally getting it wrong or if yields are just de depressed because of all of the, all of the liquidity. But if if the market thought that you were right, yields would not be sitting at 135, 136, and having gone from 175 down to that level. Okay, but re remember one thing, that the curve has steepened. Remember, the, actually, if I'm a long-term bondholder, 
I want the Fed to move <laughs> uh, in a way, because if they don't, then just my money is going to depreciate. And so if, if there's sort of a, a good, bad thing. If this forces them to move early, I, you know, I still think the yields are going to go up over 2%. But again, we talked about the Delta uh, variant. The treasuries are still the number one hedge short term for investors. They're willing to bite the bullet on inflation, lose value as long as they have that hedge uh, asset. There are many more things than just inflation that go into the long bond. And uh, I think people are going to be are paying the price and it's going to get even more expensive later on. Well, you said 2% on the 10-year. Is that by the end of the year we're going above yeah, 2%? I, I, I think so, because I think, you know, I was looking at the data and, uh, it, you know, 60% of the CPI is housing. According to the BLS, which does the statistics, that is up between 25 and 3% from a year ago. Now, you tell me that housing prices and even rentals are up to two and a half to three percent. It is the antiquated way they put it into the index. That's going to start filtering into the index second half of this year. You know, we may have eight, nine, ten percent. It's already in there. They can't do anything about it. But they can stop inflation in 2022. They you know stop, do the taper, and begin to start raising the rates. And I think they're going to be forced to go into that direction. But what do you, what, what do you say to those who, who, who would suggest, well, you're being alarmist, Professor. Look at well, lumber. I, I mean, Look at lumber, right? Uh, lumber's uh, giving up. In what, in what sense? Well, I, I in terms, of, in, in terms of this big, big call about inflation, I would say, yeah, okay, I look think at, there's going to be a big, I think there's going to be a lot more inflation. Is that alarmist? Is it, do you want to hold real assets? Do you want to hold stock? I'm not selling my stocks. But I mean, if you look Why? at lumber, if lumber's given up all of its gains on, on the year, no. and that was no, one of the, 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 I'm sorry? It's still up at least, 50, from my last reading, up 50% from the pre-pandemic level. All those have come down, some of them, although the CRB index and the oil are just about at their highs, but they're still 20, 30%, 40% above the levels they were a year ago. Well, that's a fair point. I'm talking about the gain for the for the year, not pre-pandemic. So you're yeah. you're you're absolutely correct. We were just talking about two different things, but I'm glad you you noted that and and um, and we got that clear for our. So viewers. I think that we're going to have 20 percent cumulative inflation over two or three years. Could be seven, seven, seven. I don't know how it's going to be, and then it'll go back down. And and you know the and then it'll go more than that if the Fed doesn't stop what I think is just too excessive monetary growth into next year. And I think they're just going to have to recognize it. And I think they will recognize it. They're behind the curve, in my opinion. Well, you look, you're not the only one who suggests that um, by far, yeah. by far. But if we I, were- I, I am, but well, you, you heard in you know, daily, they're still, you can hear Powell tomorrow. You can hear Powell on Thursday before Congress say, oh, it's temporary, temporary, temporary. When the biggest item in the CPI hasn't even registered the increases, it should yet. I mean, you know, everyone talks about used trucks, used cars, and everything like that. That's three percent of the index. Okay, so housing is sixty percent of the index, and there's, according to the BLS, no inflation in housing. No, you tell well, me if, if that <laughs> corresponds to reality or not. I know. I I, I hear you. I hear you. A lot of people yep. are nodding their uh, head. I'm sure I'm in saying, agreement. And I think the Fed is going to have to be pushed into that okay. direction. So so then let's play off of that. All right, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You're going to be right. 
The Fed's going to move for a guy who sits here today and says, I'm still in stocks. This is not the end of the bull market. Are we nearing the end of the bull market as a result of your view? If we start tapering, is that it? Can we sustain the move higher? No, the only thing is if they really panic later this year, early this year, when they don't see inflation going down because it's a very inertial process in, in the way they do the statistics. And then they say, oh, my God, we have to slam on the brakes and do a Paul Volcker, you know, raise a 200 basis points or something like that. That is where you got to really worry. We are miles away from there. Okay. But that is that's the risk up, up there is that they say, oh, my God, I, I let things go too far. I'm going to have to squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And, you know, then you, then there's going to be a reaction. Yeah, no, you're right about that. There's not going to be a debate about that. Josh Brown has a question for you, Professor. Yes, Josh. Hey, hey, Professor, great to see you. I think there's enough misinformation floating around in the ether uh, 24-7 in the financial media about inflation that we could, like, fill, we could fill the hold of a, of a cruise ship uh, that's stuck at port because nobody wants to take cruises. Um, I, I just want you to react to, to this concept because I think it's so important. In your book, Stocks for the Long Run, which any, any, inv- any serious investor who has not read that yet should have their head examined. It is, in my view, the Bible for equity investing. For, for people that haven't seen this chart that you have in there of the inflation protection offered by stocks versus any other asset under the sun, including gold, I think you go back hundreds of years. It's yeah. not even a horse race. These, these things are not even playing in the same arena. So this idea that inflation is the enemy of stocks, people have it backwards. Stocks are the cure for an investor who's worried about inflation. These businesses have pricing power. They're all able to raise uh, what they're charging users in excess of what it costs to find people. So in September... When the extraordinary unemployment benefit, the federal benefit, goes away, we should see some tapering off of this this worker shortage. That's one example of several, but stocks are the right answer. Stocks are not the ground zero for where the pain will be felt. Could you elaborate a little bit on that so our viewers understand that context? And firms have tremendous pricing power because people have so much liquidity, you know, they, they say, oh my God, this went up in price. I, uh, uh, you know, but I got the money, I'm paying for it. So, so the firms are having no trouble covering their costs. This is, you know, very different from the OPEC oil squeeze of the 70s, where people didn't have the money and all of a sudden energy, and we were a much more energy intensive economy back then, you know, just lost purchasing power. Today, they have the purchasing power Firms have the pricing power. They're going to pass on those price increases, and uh, and profits are going to be much stronger. I mean, I still think all the estimates are way too low going all the way through 2021. Mm. And so I agree with you absolutely. And stocks are long-term <clears throat> excellent hedges against inflation. So let, let's wrap it up. Last last word, Professor, if we could. Um, S&P right now, let's just call it 4,400. We're close enough. In your mind, what's the number for the end of the year, the S&P? I mean, I think it's it's another six months. I mean, we could definitely go up another 10, 15 percent unless we see the, you know, people really worried the the Fed is maybe overreacting and then we're going to see a correction. It's hard to time it. 
but I'm still in the market right now. Professor, love the conversation. I always do. Thanks for coming back. We'll talk to you soon. That's Thanks, Jeremy God. Siegel at the Wharton School. All right, we have a big interview coming up this Thursday. Do not miss a halftime exclusive with Double Line CEO Jeffrey Gundlach. You think there's a little bit to talk to him about these days? Inflation rates, the Fed, the markets, a lot more, too. Look forward to Thursday. We'll be right back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. In Baltimore, two marshals have been shot near a mall while trying to serve a warrant. The suspect was wanted for first-degree murder, and police say that the suspect shot first, and they returned fire, killing the suspect. The two officers are in the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Parts of Pennsylvania and New Jersey are getting more rain today as residents continue to clean up from flash floods. Some areas there are getting hit with nearly 10 inches of rain. The National Weather Service calls it a 100-year flood event. Lots of posts on social media about that. And Texas State House Democrats are in Washington, D.C., urging Congress to pass a new voting rights law and bill. The lawmakers fled Texas yesterday to block a Texas election legislation that they say would restrict voting rights. And on the news, the Republican governor of Texas says the lawmakers will be arrested as soon as they return. So how long will this standoff last? Tune in tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And the Emmy nominations are out. The Crown and The Mandalorian leading with 24 each. Among networks, HBO and HBO Max have the most nominations with 130. And then Netflix is a close second with 129. You're now up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that very much. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. Shares of Boeing, they're falling today after announcing it will reduce production of the 787 Dreamliner. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with the details. More problems, Phil. Boeing airplanes, not the headlines that this company or investors want to see. It's getting tiring. Yeah, and 
it is getting tiring for a number of people, especially because they're wondering what else might pop up as they're looking at the inspection and how the 787 Dreamliner, how those joints are holding up. Remember, it's a carbon fiber uh, composite, and it's been around for a number of years. And as they do this inspection with the FAA, this is one of the issues that has popped up. And that's why they're going to be bringing down their monthly production rate. It's because they're going to be shifting workers from building Dreamliners at five a month down to a much lower rate over to inspection and reworking of existing Dreamliners. Those are the ones in inventory that have not yet been delivered. Here's the issue. It is the forward pressure bulkhead. And what they're going to be doing is they're going to be doing inspections and potentially doing some rework here. The focus is on how this particular part of the plane, how it ages. And the FAA is saying, look, we want them to uh, update this so that we believe it is up to the standards that it should be up to. And this is expected to take about three weeks. And again, what you're looking at is about 100 of these that are in inventory. Boeing is now saying it expects to deliver fewer than half of those. Not going to be delivering all 100, delivering fewer than half of those. The reaction from the street, pretty predictable. Uh, while they are frustrated, the analysts all note that this is an issue that should be resolved. Maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks. But ultimately, it just pushes out deliveries a little further to the right. Morgan Stanley out with a note today saying, look, it's a headache, but it shifts the timeline of deliveries to the right. It does not materially change the investment thesis. Credit Suisse out with a note saying it begs the question why, after 10 years of manufacturing 787s, all of these production issues are suddenly materializing. That is an issue that I'm sure that the FAA and Boeing are discussing as they look at how these planes are certified. And remember, it's been about a decade now where we've seen these carbon fiber composite planes in air, in the air, in service around the world. By the way, all of this comes as Boeing is reporting June orders and deliveries in terms of orders, 146. Remember, there was the big order from United. That is the main reason why they have 146 uh, orders in June. Deliveries, 45, which is the highest since March of 2019. That's when the 737 MAX was grounded. Not a surprise that we are seeing an increase in deliveries, Scott, because as they are building more MAXs, they are gradually increasing production and increasing deliveries, and that's why we saw a delivery of 45. But again, the eyes today, all eyes on Wall Street on the 787 Dreamliner and these issues that continue to pop up. You said in inventory, and I want to be clear. What about ones that are in the air right. now? It's not a flight risk at this point. And we've talked with the FAA and with Boeing. They do not believe that it's a flight risk. Now, could that change down the road? Could they sit there and say, look, it's an aging issue and we need to pull these planes out of service? Potentially. But the other flip, the flip side of that is they could decide, look, we can handle this by doing inspections on a regular maintenance schedule and we don't need to pull them out of service. But both the FAA and Boeing, we should point this out, Scott, both of them at this point do not believe that this is an immediate flight risk issue. OK, glad we covered that, too. Phil, thank you, as always, as Phil LeBeau. You bet. Let's bring in what may be called a frustrated shareholder. Jim Labenthal, Farmer Jim, joining us. Um, so how, are you frustrated Jim, but I don't know how you could be because the producers are telling me you bought more stock today. 
Well, Scott, investing isn't easy. Yes, I'm frustrated, but I'm also objective. Um, you know, I thought Phil just did an excellent job, as he always does, but an excellent job of laying out, you know, how the street's looking at this. You did a, you asked the right question. Is this a flight safety issue? No, it's not. Um, and I think what happens here is you get this negative sentiment, pushes the stock down 3.5%, but it overlooks the positives that are going on right now. And a lot of those are on the 737 MAX. I don't mean to ignore the 787 Dreamliner. Uh, we may have to rename that the Nightmare Liner if this continues. But look, you got that huge order from United. You got Air France KLM possibly in the market for another big order. You got deliveries going on. Um, there's a lot of good out there. And unfortunately, I'm frustrated because this Dreamliner just kind of sits on top of it like a wet blanket. Last thing I'll say on this for the moment, because I'm sure you've got questions, is this is now Mr. Calhoun, the CEO, is out of strikes. I mean, this is it. You know, one more of these things, and you have to have him uh, turn over. And you may say, well, what's taking me so long to make that call? Look, building airplanes is not an easy job. It just isn't. And I think the FAA is getting a little bit trigger-happy here after the 737 MAX debacle. So I'm not going to fault them for doing extra inspections. Investing's not easy. I bought a little more today. And and you still have enough confidence in in management. Um, You don't think that companies lost credibility uh, in any respect or or this management team at all? I think they have. I think they have, Scott. And let me make sure I'm making that clear. They've lost, lost credibility with me. But in any relationship, you know, there are ebbs, are ebbs and flows. We're clearly at a low point in terms of my confidence or anyone's confidence in Mr. Calhoun and management. He has to turn it around right now. There's an earnings call coming up in two weeks. He better have a heck of a lot of detail on exactly what the production rate is going to be on the 787 and how they're uh, managing this problem going forward. He's out of strikes. He's out of strikes. And uh, some may say, you may say, I've given him too many already. Uh, I'll take that criticism, but I go back to saying this is not an easy business. If I were a director on the board of directors, I would say, listen, we've given you a lot of runway here, uh, and you're out of runway. So get some air under your wings or you're gone. All right. I appreciate you calling in, uh, Jim, and sharing with our viewers the fact that you did buy more stock. We'll talk to you soon. I know you'll be back on the desk soon. Stephanie Link, you own Boeing, too? I do. I don't think this is a management credibility issue. I think this is the FAA implementing much tighter inspections after the 737 MAX debacle. So I expect them to be more disciplined on this. But this is not a 787 or a 777 story, for all that matter. It is a 737 story, 737 MAX, which they just delivered 50 total 737s in 2Q. 47 were the max. There's going to be more to come. This is more a global recovery story. This is a China recertification story. And oh, by the way, let's just not forget it was Spirit Aerospace that built this nose cockpit system that is actually not working. So I think there's a lot of blame going around, but I don't necessarily think it's the management. Yeah, I know. But come on, Steph, at some point, don't you, you roll your eyes and say, come on, guys. I mean, this is getting ridiculous, right? Just when you think that this is a stock that you really want to believe in again, there's a, at the minimum, headline risk. Well, there could be headline risk, but I think it's coming from the FAA being much more strict. And they're trying to do what they can do. They were in a 
they had a lot of problems. They had a lot of problems. I think Calhoun has really worked through a lot of those problems. And free cash flow is poised to correct in, in, in terms of improve substantially in the coming years. And as a long-term investor, you've got to look at that as your valuation creation. Okay. All right. Good stuff. All right. Check out this mystery chart. It's a stock doubling over the last year. One firm now calls for 30% upside from here. All right. We'll see. We'll see. There's a nice move over the last year. 135%. Is it too late now to add it to your portfolio to try and capture the gain the analyst thinks could happen? Talk about it in our call of the day next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. That's the mystery chart right there. General Motors, it's our call today. The price target raised to $77 from 72 at RBC. They're looking for a big beat. Josh Brown, you own it. Jim Labenthal's talked about it forever. So have you. What do we do with it now? Do you believe $77 is in the cards? I think it's a $100 stock. Um, I bought it for the, for the technical breakout initially. But the more I've been reading about GM and watching what they're doing and listening to their conference calls, the more I come around to this idea that really this is now a technology company uh, shaking off the guise of a 20th century automobile company. These products are supercomputers on wheels. Um, we are thinking about GM all wrong. It's got a price to sales ratio of like 0.5. It's absolutely ridiculously undervalued relative to the strides they're making in everything from electric to autonomous to guidance systems. Um, and all the tech that goes into the cars, it's only going to level up further and further in the years to come. So I want to stay long GM. I think it's a triple-digit name. I like uh, uh, all of the progress that they're making in all these various areas. I understand the auto cycle is the auto cycle, but I'm paying nine times earnings, so that's fine. I think I'm already getting credit for the fact that we may have seen the peak in the cycle. Nice move in shares of uh, GM. Uh, on that conversation. All right, stay with us. Pete has unusual activity coming up. We're back right after this. Pete, unusual. What do you have for us today? All right, I'm going to start with old school tech, Scott, and Juniper is the name I'm going to give you first. Stock was trading just underneath 23 and, or, or 2730. They're buying the 2750 calls, about 6,000 of those call, calls being bought, 30 cents up to about 50 cents. Again, old school technology, we're starting to see more in Cisco and Oracle and all these other names. Juniper is another one of these names that's hitting, so that one's pretty interesting to me. I own those options. Bob is the second one. Now, what makes that interesting is I just talked about Chinese stocks and all of the activity that we're seeing there. I will not be in the stock, but I will be in the options. Stock was trading about 211. They were buying the 215 strike calls, the July 30th expiring. They bought 13,000 of those, Scott. They were 370 all the way up to about $4, so a fairly expensive option. But somebody thinks Bob has got a little bit of upside coming over the next three weeks, call it. Okay. Good stuff, Pete. Thanks. J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, they're both lower despite beating earnings estimates today. We're going to trade those next. 
right, we're back. J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, both lower despite topping earnings estimates. There you go. All right. So, Jason Snipe, Goldman's been been the big winner in the group outside of Wells Fargo. Goldman's up 41 and a half percent year to date. Earnings were good. Stocks down. Why? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I think this is just absolute profit taking. The print was fantastic. Uh, and what I will say here, you know, we, we knew that the underwriting IB pipeline was strong. I, I, I wasn't surprised by those numbers, but the wealth management uh, numbers were tremendous. I mean, it was a double year over year. You know, I really like Goldman here and I would actually buy here. on. Is, is it the fact that just rates that the stock's moving lower because of rates? So I don't think that's the case. I think it, I think it's a little bit more profit taking because when I look at financials as a whole, I think it's a little bit of a nuanced trade. I think the money center banks have always obviously pulled back some. I seen you've seen financials have dropped about ten percent in the last week and a half to two. Uh, but I think the investment banks are strong. I like Morgan Stanley. I like Goldman Sachs here. I think these these are opportunities in the financials. I got you, David Solomon. By the way, on the closing bell uh, today, we're very much looking forward to that interview. Josh Brown. Uh, J.P. Morgan, again, you know, stock down. That's that's yours. That's yours. Okay, it's up thirty percent year to date. So you answered your own question. These stocks have been anticipating strong results all year. Yep. Now you get the strong results. They don't also get credit after. Stocks are anticipatory. They're they're not worried about looking back. The thing on Goldman, Goldman doesn't get a lot of credit for things like booms in asset management. Their asset management business was up huge year over year. But they don't get credit for that by investors or or by analysts on the street because everyone knows that was a a once-in-a-lifetime year-over-year situation. It ain't going to repeat next quarter, let alone this quarter next year. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not as though you should expect outsized gains as a result of a windfall of government created money flooding into mutual funds. The last part of that, where Goldman really excelled way better than JP Morgan was in investment banking. This IPO slash SPAC slash secondary boom that we've been seeing plays right into Goldman's strengths, but again, up 40%, I think they got the benefit of that already, which is why you want to be an investor before great news and not necessarily on the heels of okay. great news. Okay. So on that note, Steph, I, I, you got to be quick. Wells Fargo reports tomorrow. Is it set up for a fall like J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs? Well, it's up 43 percent, one of the best banks year to date and off the lows, too. So I'll be quick. It's still a restructuring. That doesn't change. Still new CEO. You know, he's there almost a year and a half, almost two years. That doesn't change. New management team across the board, $8 billion in cost cuts. So if it pulls back on the news, I think it's a buying opportunity because I don't think the story changed, will change overnight. All right. I got to bounce. We'll come back. We'll do final trades. I got to tell you about Jason Snipes, other sales that I teased earlier in the show. We'll do it next. Another reminder, Thursday, halftime exclusive, Double Line CEO Jeffrey Gundlach. Looking forward to that. I mentioned Jason Snipe had a couple of cells I wanted to talk about. Uh, XLE and DR Horton exiting his portfolio. What's your final trade today, Jason? Scott, I'm going to go with uh, Walmart. I mentioned it earlier. I think it, it's obviously underperformed the market. I think you can catch a bet here, bid here on the return to everything trade. All right, good stuff. Stephanie Link. And a plan. It's up 4% on the hire of the new CFO, who has a wonderful pedigree. Check it out. It's a great story. It's still down 22% year-to-date. Okay. Pete Nigerian. 
I'm looking at United Health. I think it's got a lot of room to the upside still, Scott. It's too cheap. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. All right, TRB, the reform broker. Uh, JP Morgan, best is yet to come for the economy and for companies like this bank that facilitates all of the activity within it. All I right. would stay long here. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.